0: Reader fans, welcome to episode four of Data Slate Lay Radio's book review show, where we make like Voyager and head out into the great unknown. I'm your host, Station Commander Alan Stroud, and in this episode, we'll be talking about all the latest convention and award news in science fiction and fantasy before moving on to our selected reading recommendations. Joining me is ever-present veteran explorer of the multiverse, John Richardson from Starfleet Comms. How's you, John?
1: I'm very well, thank you. I'm very impressed with your new intro. Even talking about Voyager and heading out into the great unknown, I'm very impressed with that. Where'd that come from?
0: Uh, uh, (laughs) Oh, you know, I like to write occasionally, and, you know, (laughs) I must have had a purple patch for five minutes. Brilliant. The only problem is, of course, is next week I've got to write something else. (laughs) You do, yes. I've got to kind of try and top it, which is, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I, I bet it won't be anywhere near as good. Well, you never know, you never know. So we've got quite a, a fairly packed show. We've got two or three things to make listeners aware of. As is our want, we're trying to look at things that maybe elite players wouldn't necessarily find themselves or that you know that they might know about and, and kind of cover them and talk about them, give a bit of a view on some of the happenings and the, the wherefores of things in science fiction and fantasy. And first up we have, well, wow, this was the release this week, we have the Clark Awards Shortlist. Now, had you heard of the Clark Awards before, John? No, you know you. Uh,
1: I don't hear of anything until you let me know about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, basically, okay. I, I did look into it slightly, so yes. <laughs> okay, so the Clark Award. The Clark Award is the Arthur C. Clark Award. Yes. As it says on the website clarkaward.com, the most prestigious award for science fiction in Britain, presented annually for the best science fiction novel of the year. Now... You can kind of decide as to which of the awards that people get is your favourite, is the one that you're most interested in, is the one that gives you the best idea of what good books there are out there to go and read. But we have the shortlist for the Clark Award, which is always very interesting. Mm. And last year's winner, guess what? Yes. Ancillary Justice. I know, funny that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so it did kind of sweep the board. So, you know, it gives you an indication of the kind of thing you might look at and might expect. Now, the shortlist that's been announced for this year is as follows. You may have heard of these people, you may not. The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey, published by Orbit. The Book of Strange New Things by Michael Faber, Canongate. Europe in Autumn by David Hutchinson, Solaris. Memory of Water Emmy Itaranta by Harper Voyager, The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August, Claire North, published by Orbit, and Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, and that's published by Picador. So those are the titles. They've come down from a a list of 107, and yeah, it'll be very interesting to to see what's there. Uh, You had a quick browse, John. What did you think?
1: Well, of those titles there, uh, in terms of which ones sound as if they might be of interest to me straight away, Mm -hmm. would be The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August and Station Eleven. Sure. Uh, I, I like the sound of those ones already, so I might give them a read, actually.
0: For me, I've recently reviewed, and this is coming out in the next few weeks, I've recently finished Dave Hutchinson's short story collection published by Newcom Press, which is Sleeps with Angels. Yeah. So yes, that's out in a few weeks. So I've got an idea of his writing. And having read the list, I did pick up European Autumn, and I did go and pick up Memory of Water. So that will be interesting to see whether those are any good. So if you're looking at those two others, we've only got two left to cover. Yeah. That will make it great to sort of see what we think about them all. We've got a little bit of time, but not much, because it says the winner will be announced on Wednesday the 6th of May. An exclusive <laughs> award ceremony heard at Foyle's Bookshop London. Best going um, on then. <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to have a lot of time. So I don't know if I'm going to squeeze them in before that. Well, I'll be we'll... able to
1: squeeze one in, I think. So I think I might do Station Eleven. That's uh, an apocalyptic type novel. So, sure. Uh, and and that's the type of novel I like. However, this one's concentrating a little bit on the, on the human story. So I would like to have a, a, a read of that. I'll do that for the next
0: one, I think. Sure. Okay. All right. Now, just to give some details about this, so what's interesting about this in terms of how it's judged? You've got Duncan Laurie from the British Science Fiction Association, Nicholas White from the British Science Fiction Association, Sarah Brown from the Science Fiction Foundation, Leslie Hall from Science Fiction Foundation, and Leila Abu El-Hawar from Sci-Fi London Film Festival. Then you've got Andrew Butler representing the Arthur C. Clarke Award as a non-voting chair, Mm. So, for me, that's interesting, and I'll explain why. Andrew M. Butler was the lecturer at my university, who essentially who I took over from in teaching creative writing. Uh, he's very well known in science fiction, done all sorts of amazing publications, and a you know really, really excellent academic. I met him once, he gave me a reading list, and then he left the university to go on to another one. So, uh, all mm. very interesting. Good.
1: I did a uh, short story competition for Starfleet Comms. In fact, we did two. We had around about 500 entrants for one of the competitions, and we had to read each and every single one of them. The standard was quite high, obviously, but the work involved in actually trying to judge and be fair with each entrant was absolutely immense, so I don't envy these judges at all.
0: Absolutely. I think it is going to be a, a difficult choice in what they're doing. I mean, it's obviously very prestigious to win it, so... Hopefully it'll bring more exposure to the winner and to the nominated list. Mm. You'll see a few more books going out the door, which would be nice. Always good to see a writer get involved in a competition. And that, you know I'm sure they're, they're all wishing each other well in terms of whatever happens. That kind of brings us on a little bit to things related to this, where I just wanted to sort of give a bit of an idea for, for listeners that don't necessarily know. So um, the British Science Fiction Association, we've not talked about much. The British Science Fiction Association is quite a prestigious organisation in terms of trying to represent readers and writers of of science fiction and also talk a little bit about the different things that are going on in in science fiction, the debates, the critical thinking and everything else. And it it is one of those organisations that sort of unites fans and people writing, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's quite good at doing that. The BSFA Awards are quite heavily involved with EasterCon, so they're, they're announced at EasterCon and they were at the previous EasterCon. And their website's fairly good. You can find sort of updates on what's going on with things that they do. And also you can find them on Facebook. And actually the, the Facebook group is quite good because you've got quite a diverse level of engagement there. And they have a variety of little bits and pieces going on as well that they do. One of the things that I picked up recently was there's something called an... Orbiter Circle, which is for writers, where basically you can submit some writing to a little circle of writers who are BSFA members and they'll all do little crits ah, on each other's work. Brilliant. So, yeah, so I'm kind of sitting on The Death of Gods, which is at 90,000 words at the moment, and I can perhaps send a few thousand to somebody who's another writer, you know, and they'll maybe give me a bit of feedback, which, you know, as a blind swap like that actually is quite useful at this stage because I'm at a formative stage of writing it. So getting a fresh view is particularly good. Yeah, that would be quite super, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Kind of hoping so. But yeah, the BSFA, well worth having a look at. You know, Do check out the bits and pieces that they do. And, and I'd say you know go have a look at them on Facebook, see what's going on there, because that's usually where you get more of the discussion about stuff. And then that brought me to the BFS, which is the British Fantasy Society. We've talked about that a little bit already. Wow. They are a sort of similar organisation, but table towards fantasy, a little bit smaller. Uh, occasionally they have sort of joint meetups, mostly in York. So there is a bit of interchange, particularly between the members and also between, you know, doing stuff for one and then doing stuff for the other and what have you. So, yeah, you know, all very interesting in terms of what's available and how you can get involved. The BFS have got their own forum. The newsletters are very good, and the articles are very good. They're certainly worth checking out. And if you're looking to make contacts with some small press publishers, then actually there's quite a few that circulate around the BFS forums. That so There's good people posting and there's good people commenting. Excellent. So our next thing to talk about is a very quick reminder. We are in the last stages now of David Lowe's Kickstarter for the Frontier Elite theme. He's actually quite well known in that he also did the theme tune to the One Show. He's done all sorts of TV music. And for a long while now, he's been doing this Kickstarter to remake the Elite Frontier theme using uh, an orchestra at Abbey Road. As of when we're recording today, there are 10 days to go, I would guess. As of Sunday, there will be six days to go. Now, they're about halfway, perhaps a little bit over halfway. So it's quite a tall stretch. They're trying to get £33,000 to afford the proper orchestral version of the Frontier theme. Speaking as a composer, you know, I compose using synths all the time. I compose using samples. I compose using different sound effects and sounds up in the attic. There's still nothing beats an orchestra. No. I mean, you get that depth, don't you? And and the little
1: warmth piece from the the wood section and and all of that. You know, I just like the sound of an orchestra.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even even though some of the sample stuff that I use Mm. is sampled orchestra, it's just, it will give them so much flexibility and you will have such a rich piece of music. Yes, exactly.
1: It's a richness, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. They've been in touch with Frontier over the last couple of weeks. And they're currently having a discussion with David Braben about if the Frontier theme would feature in Elite Dangerous. Mm. Now, this is particularly interesting because have you used a docking computer yet, John? A docking computer? I have. Blue Danube. Right. Yes. Okay. So essentially, the reworking of the Blue Danube into the game is using the docking computer currently dave and holly are discussing with david braben as to where the frontier theme might feature in the new game if you're interested in having a say on that and you think that that should come back and you'd like to see it or you've got a particular idea of where it should go head on over to the kickstarter obviously you can comment you can take part in the discussion if you pledge so, well worth having a go. And, of course, the Pledge rewards entitle you to getting copies of the music, give you a chance to get involved. And it's a wonderful project. And it's also the fact that to start this project, he's gone up to the loft and found all his old ROM cards and everything else with his samples on to sort of get an idea of what was available that he could redo. Some of those, I think there was an Amiga hard drive failure at some point, which was a bit of a shame. But some of that stuff is going to be the stuff that they're going to work from. An attempt to preserve and use. So I think it's it's incredible. It'd be lovely to see another 90s iconic theme tune come out of what's there. And, you know, he did a lot of other theme tunes as well. So please, if you're interested, do get over there, do have a look, and see if you want to get involved. Okay, and that moves us on to other big news in the worlds of science fiction and fantasy and one particular franchise. Hurry up! <laughs> you oh, you been too waiting for this one. The Star Wars Celebration at yes, Anaheim. Yes, yes, uh, <laughs> So I take it you watched all the trailers then? I've watched everything to do with it. And basically,
1: I'm looking at this now. And I went to a Star Trek exhibition, basically an XL Exhibition Center. And I know I'm sort yeah. of like jumping the gun slightly here. But um, I'm very familiar with the XL Exhibition Center. And to see that it's going to go there... I'm very excited. (laughs) Uh, I am very excited about
0: this. uh, Okay. What happened is, at Anaheim, they ran the 2015 Star Wars Celebration. And this was last weekend, wasn't it, I think? Essentially, it was sort of over about four days, I think, in total. And during all of this was when we started to get the trailers for the different films that they're looking to produce And little insights to the other things that are going on. And if you've not seen online things like the live demonstration of BB-8, the robot, i.e. the the little tiny robot that rolls around because it's on like a football. Yeah, yeah. That was fantastic to see, to see that it was actually a working model.
1: Amazing to see it was a working model, actually, because you just assume that's a... A special effect, as it were, to see it actually work is just incredible. Really,
0: I don't know about you, but I still can't figure out how that head works on it. No,
1: it's got (laughs) to be. Isn't it magnetic? It's got to be some sort of magnetic thing going on there to keep. You can't see any
0: any kind of neck to
1: (laughs) it. Well, there isn't at all. No, there isn't.
0: Or any kind of connector that would make that work, it just doesn't. Yeah, so it's, doesn't it's, seem it's to the, be the head's
1: has got to be connected by a magnetism. It's got to be magnetism, or yeah. a, a, a little bit like a, a sort of maglev type train type piece without the track. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, well, that's the only way I can think of it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're obviously we're speculating. Yeah, I clearly. mean, that's, that's all we can know. <laughs> you know, I, I've no idea how you'd make it. So, they basically they they wheeled out and wield is a great, great word, yeah. R2-D2 and BB-8. Um, so we got to see that BB-8 is actually a live prop. And also you got the old cast coming back. You had the new cast Love. all on the stage to sort of talk about uh, a few things related to the film. Harrison Ford not there, unfortunately, because I think he's still recuperating from his plane crash. If you haven't seen the trailers, Harrison Ford features in the new Star Wars trailer, which is great. But
1: everybody else... Well, there's a lot to be said about Harrison Ford, in all fairness. He did surprise me a little bit in the clips that I've seen.
0: I'm one of those people that saw the first trilogy, had to see the second trilogy, was absolutely busted a gut to see the second trilogy, and fell out of love with it. Yes. Because of the second trilogy. Attack of the Clones started that route, and actually then Revenge of the Sith confirmed it for me. really? Okay. Yeah, I know a lot of people say that Revenge of the Sith had... The majority of the plot of lucas's original script and what have you but there were just so many things that would seem to be contrived and sort of turning corners because they had to turn corners i'm one of those people and i've seen other people who've had the same thoughts you know i'm quite skeptical about disney because my previous experiences of disney some time ago were not particularly good i know I've...
1: but they don't do the hand-drawn cartoons anymore no that's it that's exactly
0: <laughs> it i've always labeled them as the mcdonald's of literature <laughs> And gosh <laughs> but since Pixar has come to prominence, and as Disney have started to involve themselves in more and more popular franchises, mm. we've started to see some really, really amazing stuff. And I, you know, I'm completely, completely hold my hand up in that. The Marvel films are fantastic from Disney. Yes, they are. Um, yeah. Getting Joss Whedon in as a director for films was an amazing idea and everything that, that well they kind of absolutely yeah. absolutely he needed to be helming some sort of large franchise because yes. he you know he needed a big canvas because he's a, an amazing director and actually then seeing that expand and going to different things and then you know i still had that moment of skepticism when they bought the star wars franchise i had that moment of skepticism and then we saw lucas artsia here the computer game house being closed down and i was still a bit worried But then you start seeing the trailers that are coming out for these new films.
1: Well, yeah, there are plenty of films out there which they've all had excellent trailers, but the proof is in the pudding, though. So, you know, you can still reserve judgment, Alan.
0: Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, seeing them, they brought the goosebumps It did, though,
1: didn't it? That that wrecked uh, Imperial Destroyer or whatever the class of ship was.
0: On, well, the, even the first on the planet's
1: one. surface.
0: Yeah, and even the first one, the first one when you first saw the Millennium Falcon tearing around it, yeah. you know, that or the... And then... The
1: sounds bring it all back, don't they?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Did you see the trailer for Rogue One?
1: No, I've not seen that trailer.
0: Ah, oh, which is... <laughs> which is a prequel to Star Wars A New Hope. Right. Because it's the basically a bunch of Rebels finding the plans for the first Death Star. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm bought into it.
2: Awesome.
0: <laughs> okay. Awesome. You know, so they really are sort of thinking around this in, in, in so many ways. Yeah. And it's lovely to see that Disney provide enough financial muscle to get these projects off the ground, because they can kind of see that they're going to return. Mm. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Now with the fact that we've talked about science fiction and fantasy conventions of a multitude of different sizes you can talk about Worldcon and how many people go to Worldcon you can talk about how many people go to Comic-Con Star Wars in London yes at the XL Arena yes i I I I wonder if they'll cram everyone in yeah they will <laughs> of course they will <laughs> you know but but it is I just think it's so stratospherically popular. Yes, I think that it just means so much more. And actually, crowd control there, I reckon. So I went to LongCon last year, and the twenty thousand people at LongCon. This will just
1: yeah, because Star Wars really is one of those things that is. I'm going to use the word iconic. I'm afraid, but it is. And it it crosses generations now, because it came out in 77, and there are people who have got a large amount of disposable income now, if they're lucky enough, of course, to actually spend on these sorts of events, such as the likes of you and me. And then, of course, they've got children of their own, who they've infected Mm -hmm. with the Star Wars and Star Trek and sci-fi and fantasy gene. You know, mm. and they're going to be involved, and they've seen all the films, and their groups of friends have all networked, liking this sort of stuff. So it's going to be there's going to be a massive horde descending on Excel. I think
0: absolutely, it's going
1: to be fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think I think you we've know. kind of already started to think about booking our tickets. Yeah, you've someplace. got to though. <laughs> you've got to (laughs) what you were saying about you know the generational thing i think much as i can sort of talk about my negativity towards new films the one thing that they do do is that essentially and also by the remaking you know if you look at the original i've got the 1977 trailer yes and if you look at the quality of the footage of the 1977 trailer and then you compare it to how much it's been digitally remastered and i know you know i know people talk about the changes but there's also quite a lot of improvement you know in terms of just the quality of the picture but the fact is is that by reinventing by continually tinkering by continually sort of working with the content by you know by making spin-off series by having books by having all these other things essentially it becomes a family franchise it becomes a generational franchise and it becomes something that Parents can share with their children, and everyone thinks it's cool, which is a wonderful thing, and actually that's very powerful. And I think that's part of the appeal and part of the attraction of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic story at the end of the day, isn't it? We had one last thing that I was going to mention that is, you know, for all elite returnee gamers who remember their nineteen eighties stuff and everything else, the one last thing that is come out this week, which is is very interesting and worth checking out. Is if no one has seen David Hasselhoff's new pop video for True Survivor, oh God. please do take a look.
1: Don't if John, you value your sanity.
0: John, John is cringing. John is cringing, but do take a look. Uh, again, this is—it's come out as a, a title tune for a crowdsource funded short film by an advertising and music video director from Sweden who. Ran a crowdsource fund, got £600,000 to make a 30-minute free film called Kung Fury, which will come out next month, free for release. It's, you know, as I say, about 30 minutes. And it's incredible. You know, what he's done is amazing. And it's totally, utterly saturated in the 1980s. And what did he then go and do? He went and got David Hasselhoff to go and sing the title tune. And it's just, it's an earworm. It's a fantastic video. It's just, just Funny, if you, and it's well worth looking yeah, at. Yeah, if
1: you want a pick-me-up, a, pick a cheer-me-up, watch it. Yeah, If you want yeah. to be sane, don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, and on that note, we'll head for an advert break and we'll come back with John's book choice.
2: You've flown ships at max speed. Mm. You've felt the power of the 30-megawatt mining laser. Mm. You've experienced the efficiency of the MB-4 mining machine. Wow but it leaves every hardcore miner with just one question. Why can't I get a shave that's that fast, close, and efficient? Introducing the Saracen MB-5 shaving drone. It's so smooth. Combining the power of a mining laser with the convenience of a drone. It's like every hair is targeted by a fighter and destroyed. Saracen's patented shaving drone attaches to your face at the start of the day. Leave it to do its work, and when you come back to check, your face is shaved. He's so smooth. It's like I'm mining my face. The Saracen MB-5 shaving drone. Now I feel manly. Saracen shaving. Making shaving an unnecessary adventure. Greetings, commanders. Second technician Fossil Forrester here. If you'd like to catch the crew of the Orange Sidewinder, we broadcast live every Tuesday at 8.30pm
0: BST. Fly safe. And if you can't do that, Fly Dangerous. Is your life like this? Okay, and welcome back. And so we're going to move on after our quite detailed discussion. <laughs> we're going to move on now to talk about John's book choice. What have you got for us, John? Well, as you know, I like the apocalyptic type
1: of fiction. And some of it's good and some of it's not so good. And I tend to like most of it. Uh, regardless <laughs> of whether it's good or not. So I thought, well, you know, I'll pick up this one, and it's uh, Trudge Surviving the Zombie Apocalypse 1 okay. <laughs> right, by Sean Chesser. And okay. It had some pretty decent reviews on Amazon, so I thought, you know, I've, I've read a few of these uh, zombie okay. apocalypse books, and I know what sort of genre I'm getting when I get this sort of book. Let's see what they've done this time, you know. Uh, okay. And, and that's where... that. Whenever I pick it up, I I I always look at it like that, and I always go, right, let's have a read of this then. So the blurb on this one, Cade Grayson finds himself separated from his wife and daughter during a viral outbreak. Between them are 30,000 miles and millions of infected. Cade must form alliances and rely on his military training to run the gauntlet of undead as well as the living. He must leave Portland, Oregon to locate his family in South Carolina. 15 months after an honorable discharge the disillusioned former tier one operator travels east with his less than clean-cut neighbor and two neighbor kids meanwhile his wife brooke is forced to flee the familial home with the daughter raven in tow humans bent on taking advantage of other humans are as much a threat as the newly risen walking corpses incommunicado and desperate for any information about the outbreak spread kate must chart the right course on his trudge to reunite with his family so you get the idea of this one. It's a yeah. It's it's, it's, it's yeah. It's the backdrop of zombies, a little bit of paranoia because you can't trust anyone, and mm-hmm. this guy's is a you know militarily trained with, and he's got a jaded outlook. And it's the the challenges to meet after travelling thousands of miles. And I thought, yeah, well, you know, these sorts of things you can read them in a, you know um, whilst you're on a bus or something like that, and it, you know it's a very casual read generally. Yeah, it and. So yeah, 99p on Kindle, I'll do it. So I did it. Okay. Oh my god. I really wished I hadn't. Okay. <laughs> right? So I was very very disappointed. Now then, and I'll tell you why I qualify that. So basically, it starts off fairly promising, and mm-hmm. you get to know a little bit about the character, and then the outbreak happens, and in in all of those books, the little bit about knowing the character is always quite exciting because you, it's a new person. Yeah. Yeah?
2: Yeah.
1: And then, yeah. And then the outbreak happens, and it's always quite interesting to see that happen in the book because each one is different, despite the fact that it results in generally zombies. So, yeah. um, you know, they choose a different method and the, the different methods of contagion, such as, you know, they look at each other and they become a zombie or is it is it going to be in the blood for a few months before they turn into zombies yeah. or, or whatever. So, you know, this is obviously a quite high infection rate. So everybody's getting it and it's spread by blood and saliva and all of that business. And they're yeah. not your normal zombies where the sort of, well, when I say normal, there have been no normal zombies since... Dawn of the Dead. You know, all of them run, jump, scream, shout, and everything else nowadays. So these ones do that. And the character seemed okay until I started realizing that he's actually mentioning an awful lot of brand names and stuff like this of the different weapons that he's using. And then he starts talking about the technical details behind these weapons. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's interesting, but, you know, and then he starts going on about the armoured vehicles and, and how they're used and, and, and everything else. And I thought, hang on a second, am I reading a novel here? Or am I reading an instruction manual? Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and and this is, that's, and Trudge literally became how it felt reading the book.
0: So, <laughs> it, it really did. Uh, I'm terribly I, sorry, but. No, it, that's, that. That's fine. I mean, I've not read it, but I've been there. And I can kind of see what you're saying in that there are writers and, you know, obviously I've not read this, but there are writers who occasionally get a little bit too obsessed in relation to either the technical equipment or it becomes about the emotional significance of their characters. So, you know, I'll hold my hand up here. When I first started writing fantasy, one of the things I did is, you know, I wrote as often as I could. But, you know, there'd be a few days sometimes between when I wrote a chapter and then when I next picked the thing up and, and everything else. And so, you know, when you edit, you go back and you sort that inconsistency out. But sometimes what I was doing is I was also writing myself back into the story, mm-hmm. which basically meant that I would have a character do something because that was when I was writing and I was in it. Then I'd go off, go, you know, spend a couple of weeks doing whatever else I had to do in my life, come back to the story, and I would then write about how the character was thinking about the things that they'd just done, Mm. which would completely destroy the pace. And it was because I was writing to get myself familiar again with what was going on, I was reflecting that in the text. Yeah, you're revisiting stuff and it's... Yeah, because I wasn't familiar with it. When actually, when you as a reader, if you were reading my book, you'd be going... Why are you telling me about this? Yeah. I've just seen it. You know, This just happened. Why, why are you telling me about this? Yeah. And actually, that's kind of similar to what you're describing here, where essentially you know, you've got a writer who is getting a bit distracted, perhaps by the elements that they are...
1: I think what he was trying to do was he was trying to make it authentic. And you get that, because he is trying. You can tell he's trying to make it sound believable. But yeah. I don't need to know the make of a machine gun and you know well there is there is
0: also there is also isn't there there's a there's a uh, certainly the technology element of science fiction sometimes is something that you know that particular types of reader enjoy and they do you know they get quite techy about these things when the plot starts to suffer mm. then perhaps
1: the pace i you think know, it, it suffers yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah and you know and you know as a as a writer that you're you're basically you're trying to you're trying to fast and slow. You're trying to, at the slow moments, you've got the opportunity to maybe say more, give more context, talk about more things. In the fast moments, you've got to keep it pacey. You want people to genuinely feel that they're on tenderhooks and that people may not survive and that the action's exciting and everything else. And unfortunately, there is a temptation occasionally when you get to action sections, because if they are very technical, there's a, a temptation to slow down. Mm. I guess there are moments of that in, in what you have here. Yeah. It's also worth bearing in mind he's got a whole series, hasn't he? Yes, yes.
1: So there is all of that. I mean, I'll give. here's here's some of the opening anyway, and for what it's worth as it was, okay? Sure. So Kay pushed the remote button on the rear view mirror and the garage door responded by starting to slowly open. He overshot the driveway by a few feet and reversed his truck up the driveway into the two-car garage. He walked into the house through the mudroom and deposited his keys on the top of the dryer. Before he entered the kitchen, he removed his shoes and then pressed the glowing button on the wall. The garage door started on its downward journey. Really?
0: Yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> My answer to that would be, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so it's also stating on the Amazon listing for Trudge that this is a sixty-two thousand word novel. Mm. Now, sixty thousand words is fine. You know, I mean, I've written one or two sixty thousand word pieces, but you would expect it to have pace. Yeah. You know, I'd wonder how much of that could probably be I th- slightly more economical. I
1: think it needs a, a jolly good editing. <laughs> okay. But uh, take it forward, it is, I am still currently reading it, and mm. uh, I will read it until the very, very end, <laughs> if I make it. So, um, But, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not a bad story it could sure. do better with being told a little bit with a bit more pace and with some yeah. stuff taken out i think so
0: okay well we're not obviously as keen on this as perhaps as we are on on other books but certainly it's worth seeing if listeners have a view so, so if is. you're yeah. you're picking up trudge go have a look tell us what you think we're quite happy to sort of discuss it It'd be very interesting to see if if people have a different uh, different thought about it different take on it yeah. Or if we, we have any fans of Sean Chesser that want to, to talk a little bit about uh, the whole series, we're quite happy to discuss that and, uh, and go through it. Good. So where can we get it from? Well, as as we,
1: I think we alluded to, as Amazon, you can get it. It's a Kindle edition is 99p, and the paperback version is £6.36.
0: Okie dokie. There's also... Some reseller versions at uh, four pound fourteen yeah. and four pound oh nine, which uh, I think are, are used and and as I say, also from uh, from a reseller. Yeah. Okay, so that'll do us for Trudge. We're going to run away from Trudge. And. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I, I
2: might. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, leave it in. Leave it in.
0: We're, we're going to uh, uh, disappear away to an advert break and then we'll come back with my book choice. Is your life like this?
2: Take that, evil pirate scum.
0: Pew, 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 pew.
1: Pew, 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 pew. Mm. Attention, attention. Pew, Second
2: pew, technician pew, Chris pew. Forrester to oh. the gantry. Second technician Forrester to the gantry. The vending machine is broken. I repeat, the vending machine is broken.
1: It could be like
2: this. Drive charging. My God.
1: to LaveCon, the science fiction and fantasy festival which celebrates creativity and is inspired by the computer game elite.
2: Join us for board gaming, LARP, cosplay, LAN, tabletop roleplay, workshops, special guests and of course Elite Dangerous. LaveCon
1: 2015 is being held on the 11th and 12th of July, just outside Northampton,
2: England. Book your tickets at laveradio.com. Are you feeling isolated, alone, with only the cold rays of a dying neutron star to keep you company? Then you need to lock your coordinates onto the EDC. At the EDC network, you'll meet thousands of like-minded spacers. You'll get the latest trading news, entertainment news, current affairs, and blatant gossip. Are you looking for a new career avenue, a wingman? A friend to share those lonely hours sat shooting beryllium out of asteroids. We have just the people you need to talk to. So power that frameshift into overdrive and log on to the EDC today. Subscription to the Elite Dangerous Community on Facebook is free for the initial month and will then be billed at 50,000 credits per year on a tri-monthly basis. Zero cancellation policy is in place and will be vigorously enforced
0: okay and we're back from the adverts and now we're moving on to my book choice. Now what I've done is I've chosen a book that I reviewed a little while ago on SF book similar to last week but this is quite interesting. Now we've talked a little bit today about crowdsource funding and war stories, modern military science fiction originally was devised and was was set up by crowdsource funding uh, on Kickstarter. Now what happened is that uh, Andrew Liptak, put together this idea of, of military science fiction as an anthology and wanted to put a set of science fiction stories together and, and have an opportunity to do that and, and wanted to get some funding to put that together so that there was a good product at the end of it. And he was also looking at seeing if he could you know, recruit a few of the, the perhaps well-known writers who'd done well in competitions or done well in shortlists, but hadn't necessarily got to the public attention, as it were, as much as they might. And War Stories was that opportunity to sort of bring all that together. It was then published by Apex Publications, and it's a lovely, lovely tome. You know, it is a really, really big sort of thing to go on your bookshelf that you kind of quite like to look at and see. And you can also, you can pick it up as an ebook to take a look at as well. The interesting thing about it is, it's got this quite interesting cover. If you look at it on Amazon, that cover kind of gives you the impression that it's going to be, and "War Stories" as a title gives you the impression it's going to be a collection of, I guess, kind of Hemingway-style space adventures. Hemingway-style space adventures. Well, it's it's got a little bit of a a sort of Games Workshopy style to okay. it. It looks. It looks a little bit like it's going to be that sort of heroic, gritty, heroic space opera.
1: Oh, it's definitely got the gritty uh, realism there, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the gritty's there, but perhaps there's also the sort of... Games Workshop sort of perhaps talks a little bit about sort of space gothic and what have mm. you. But there is a, you know, there's still this quite imaginative idea, iconic idea of the small squad of of army troopers going in against the odds, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And actually, that's not what War Stories is. Oh. Yeah, it's not what War Stories is. It is quite a collection of very different stories ruminating on the nature of war in a futuristic context. You have all sorts of things going on. You've got artificial intelligences being used as a military simulator who then decide to declare peace and so they send in an army general to try and negotiate with them to make them fight each other again because they're not fulfilling their programming right okay you've got a story about a young girl whose father commits suicide because he used to be a sniper and killed a lot of people and and there was obviously there was some sort of incident that that he couldn't deal with in his life so she then after he commits suicide she then gets involved in drone programming and tries to effectively to use drones to stop people having to become responsible for the killing of, uh, of others mm-hmm. and then one day the budget is cut just a little bit her program is cut around just a little bit and there is a significant loss of innocent lives based on the drones that she's programmed And so it creates a unity between her experience and her father's experience. Hmm. You then have, you know, a multitude and there are quite a lot of stories in there. It took me a long time to get through this because it's, it's a really big bumper collection and you've got a few award winning authors. You've got a few newish authors, but they're all fairly seasoned. You know, they've all, you know, sort of produced other stuff and Pretty much all of the stories make you think about the nature of war and how the nature of war might change in a futuristic society. Mm. So it's actually quite a deeper engagement with the idea of war than you were expecting it to be. That sounds really good. I see it's got 23 stories, so that is quite the bumper collection there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very detailed. So, I'll read you the blurb. Please. War is everywhere, not only amongst the firefights, in the sweaty dripping from the heavy armour and the clenching grip on your weapon, but also wedging itself deep into families, infiltrating our love letters, hovering in the air above our heads. It's in our dreams and in our text messages. At times it roars with adrenaline, whilst at others it slips in silently so it can sit beside you until you forget it's there. Join Joe Haldeman, Linda Nagata, Karen Loachie, Ken Liu, Jay Posey, and more as they take you on a tour of the battlefields. From those hurtling through space in spaceships and winding along trails, deep in the jungle with bullets whistling overhead, to the ones hiding behind calm smiles, waiting patiently to reveal itself in those quiet moments when we feel safest. War Stories brings us 23 stories of the impacts of war, showcasing the systems, combat, armour, and aftermath without condemnation or glorification. Instead, War Stories reveals the truth. War is what we are. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Now That's quite
1: a heavy bit of blurb there, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, no, it it certainly is. Now, the only criticism I'd have of Mm. it is it organises itself into themes. Now, for some readers, that might be particularly appropriate, and you might sit there and go, "Okay, that's great. You know, if I want to read about certain ideas of warfare if i want to go for perhaps the uh the more technical stories yeah or i want to go for the more uh thoughtful stories you know i can i can kind of go to to the ones in in particular themes the only problem with that is that just occasionally because the stories are next to each other they kind of affect each other a little bit I so you get an image from the first one and then you read the second one. It's kind of got a similar theme. So some of your imaginations of the of the they're scenes... They're still in the book, hanging
1: um, around.
0: Yeah, 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 they are. They're still hanging about. So actually, in other anthologies, if you look at the Gardner de Zoy anthologies, they're very much sort of collecting a cherry pick of his ideas of what the best yeah. science fiction could be. And, you know, the big... The big tome is is amazing to, to, to read. So what it means is that you actually have quite a contrast. And similarly, if you read you know, an indiv- individual author who has collected an anthology, that individual author will probably look at quite a few different themes and they'll think you know, about the way in which stories go together and so on and so forth. Here, they've made that conscious choice to collect them according to themes. And by doing that, it might be that that, Kind of doesn't give them the best. Um, it might affect the presentation, if you like. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. So
1: looking inside slightly, I see what you're talking about with the themes. So you've got wartime systems, combat, armoured force, and aftermath, and I can see what you're saying how that would actually group them together, and and then maybe some of those ideas hang about. But it seems to yeah. cover quite a bit, though, doesn't it?
0: I mean, I would say that the the one that perhaps where I struggled a little. Mm was Armoured Force. Right. And that might be, you know, where one armoured force goes out to do one thing and then, you know, and, and actually there's a little bit of bleed right. okay. in terms of the imagery yeah. between them. Wartime Systems is fantastic. Really is a great, great start. And then when you get to Aftermath, Aftermath really makes you sort of consider, you know, the stories as well. Uh, my personal favourite of all the 23 would be The Radio by Susan Jane Bigelow. Ooh. That's my favourite story of, of the lot. I'm not going to... Say anything about it, say anything about what um, what happens, but that would be my particular choice. Okay. Why would it be your particular choice then? Ooh, <laughs> you're bad. I know. I, I, just, I just think that she wrote it just incredibly well, and it really does make you think about the context that she's put across. You know, I that that's I'm trying so hard not to spoil anything. I know, because um, I really don't want to, you know, to give a give any of the games away. But it certainly, for me, it was, you know, was one I'd pick out okay. of the 23. It's the context feels really real and the characters feel really real. It's probably the best way to to describe it. In the Loop by Ken Liu is also very very good in that regard. And invincible by Jay Posey is also good it, it sort of sort of has different priorities i you know, but certainly for me, the radio is is the standout story of the collection brilliant,
1: okay, so this is uh two hundred and ninety four pages, so how many words is that is that
0: we're talking about the sixty thousand again are we uh no we're talking about quite a lot more, I would say oh, yeah? to be honest, yeah, it might be saying two hundred and ninety four pages but um it's 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 sort of a when you think about paperbacks, you have a trade paperback and you have a mass market mm-hmm. paperback. Yep. Now, as far as I'm aware, War Stories is a trade paperback size, so it's it's a slightly bigger tome. I would suggest it's it's significantly longer than sixty thousand words. I can't remember off the top of my head how long it is, but certainly you're getting quite you're a, getting quite a lot
1: of uh, text for your money, as it were.
0: Yeah, you're you're yep. getting a good slice of pie. Yeah my copy is on ebook so unfortunately i can't uh, i can't give you a, right. an approximation of uh, of numbers but um but yeah it's it is it's a weighty tome there's going to be something in there if military science fiction is something that you're you're interested in there'll be something in there that you'll enjoy and i don't think you should worry that it's going to be too technical because it isn't okay there are one or two stories that do lean towards that particular bent of military science fiction but it's not yeah. specifically in that vein well as
1: we've discussed there's a place for technical definitely yeah. so yeah. if if it's done right then you know it'll help the story along won't it so
0: absolutely and there's a collection of authors in there who are people who are great writers mm-hmm. And all worth supporting. And I think that's for me that's the key of, yep. of this particular collection. The editing standard is very high. And sometimes, you know, with small press or with these kind of originated crowdsource funding pieces, there is a danger occasionally that you'll get a, a bit of a weakness because, you know, somebody's basically trying to um, to get their dream novel off the ground. Mm. And perhaps, you know, doesn't have quite as, as much of a an engagement with, with professionals. Not to say that everyone's like that, you know. Let's let's face it, that's where I came from. So, you know, <laughs> it's there are always gems in the rough, and this really is a gem. It does have a really good collection of strong stories that have been well edited, well put together and, and really thought about in terms of the way in which they've they've constructed it.
1: So you've sold me another Kindle book. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: This okay, time so... I've actually added to my wish list because. <laughs> ah, good, good, good. Really getting... Okay. So, what we will do is we will do what we do with all of the books that, uh, that we put up. Yep. They will be available from uh, the Lave Radio website for people to go and check them out. Wall Stories is available from Kindle at £3.76, it's available on paperback at £9.96. And then you've got a couple of used and new options available uh, underneath, so you can you can kind of find it. And you are supporting if you know if you're choosing to pick this up, you are supporting a small press. Uh, the Apex Book Company is a, a small independent press, and uh, you know this is obviously is one of their uh, their gems, so well worth taking a look. Brilliant. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you very much. So that's it for another episode of Data Slate. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email info at laveradio.com, Facebook slash Lave Radio at Lave Radio on Twitter, or you can join the Skype chat channel by adding fozza 101 to your Skype contacts. You can join the TeamSpeak server where commanders are also coming to hang out and chat. That's at laveradio.teamspeak3.com. You can find more information about Starfleet Comms over on the website starfleetcoms.com where you can catch up with Commander Max Torps as he explores Elite Dangerous. Until next time, whether you're parked out in the furthest reaches of the galaxy, or snug in your docking bay. Enjoy reading those books, Commanders. Take care.
1: Bye.